All right, now we're live. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Midnight Narwhals podcast. This this isn't episode three. Stop it. We don't, we're not counting episodes. I mean, but it could be because we don't know the order that people listen to this in. Okay. I'm trying I, to be all inclusive of everyone. I feel like you just, you're, you're just doing that to, to mess with me because I wanted to do episode numbers and then you talked me out of episode numbers. And now you're doing it just to throw me off. Or I care about our listeners. Okay. So we're calling this episode three. That's fine. This is episode three of the Midnight Narwhals podcast, depending on what order you listen to. I'm Andy. I'm James. And time has no bearing or meaning upon anything. Time's a construct. (laughs) There is no future or past. We are in the infinite present. Sure, if that's how you decide to look at it. That's called foreshadowing. Oh, okay. All right. With what you've told. <laughs> All right. I'm excited. Yeah. I, I think this is going to be a fun one today. I don't think I have a whole bunch to, to blather about the beginning. No, not pretty good week, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the week, w- I mean, it had its moments. Yeah. I've so had did, an interesting couple of weeks, but so since we mine. last recorded, um, it's been, it's been quite the emotional roller coaster in many ways, but uh, you know, we've come made it through and everything's okay. Yeah. It's good to hear. How's I your week? My, I, it was a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had my first COVID test. Oh, uh, yeah. So that was an experience. But which version out. did you have? Did you have the brain tickler one or yeah. just like the <laughs> tip of the nose one? Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say the the one in, that they developed in China where they, <laughs> they <laughs> where they butt swab you. Well, because uh, we do try to keep this family friendly, I wasn't going to bring up the Chinese <laughs> COVID test of bend over and cough. Um, no, it was just like just the little tiny tip of the Q-tip that I had. It was self-administered too, which was cool. Oh, okay. So it was just in a little plastic baggie with instructions. And after you did it all, you put your hazards on and some lady in a hazmat suit basically like walks up and takes it from you. And then you drive away and they text you the results. And within the day, I got my results back, which was, which was nice. nice. It was negative. I just had the crud, dealt with some other stuff last week, which uh, I'm deciding not to, not to mention. Thank you. Cause uh, if you had, I would have cut it out. Yeah. I'm, 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 I know you would. Uh, like there would have been an abscess left in this podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. All I'll say is getting old sucks. I didn't think that getting old meant 22 years old for, for, uh, for certain things to start happening to my body. But yeah. puberty comes late sometimes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Mr. I started going bald at 22. Hey, you know, that just means I produce too much testosterone. Uh-huh. Scientific. Look it up. Yeah. Bald scientists came up with that, those statistics, I'm sure. Probably. I mean, they got to do something. Yeah. Because going bald leaves you one of two ways. Like as, as a bald man, you can either be ripped like the rock. The only other alternative is cancer patient. And if they're scientists, they're more on the cancer patient side. What do you think of like Stanley Tucci? Because he's bald, but he's not ripped. But he's I wouldn't say old. he's, I wouldn't say he's cancer patient either. No, he's not cancer patient, but he's just yeah. old. He's not, I mean, he's older than you. Yeah, but uh, I mean, he's, he's like, old. He's like mid 60s, early 70s. No, no way Stanley Tucci's that old. Alexa, how old is Stanley Tucci? I bet he's young, early 60s, late 50s. He was born on November 17, 1987. That was the wrong person. It's the wrong Stanley Tucci. Okay, fine. He's 60 years old. 60 years old. Yeah, yeah. He's looking rough for 60. 
Yeah, the the pandemic didn't really help many people. There's a lot of celebrities that are looking rough now. Well, they've not been able to go in for their touch-ups. Yeah. And so they're actually beginning to look like a Human? natural person like, would. Like humans? Like yeah. humans, which yeah. they're not. They're lizard We're people. Yeah. Well, we'll use that as a segue because this story today is about a completely normal man. Okay. David Vaughn Ike was born in Leicester, England on the 27th of April in 1952. All right. I don't know the name. So around 1955, when David was three years old, his family moved to the Goodwood Estate, which is one of the council estates in the post-war labor government built, basically government projects. Oh. They just call it council estates. Well, yeah, it's England. It's England, and we're a bit more posh than everything else. Yeah. I mean, that happens here in the States. You put a fancy name on a crappy neighborhood. Oh, yeah. In 1993, so much later in life, David wrote, To say we were skint is like saying it's a little chilly at the North Pole. I had to look up what skint meant, and that yeah. just means, like, dirt poor. Okay, yeah. I was going to use context clues to, to come to that conclusion. But, yeah, I kind of yeah. had assumed that from context clues. Didn't know for sure looked it up skint skint it's literally skin with a t in the end Hmm. skint oh skint david recalls having to hide underneath a window or chair when the councilman came for the rent after knocking the rent man would walk around the house peering through the windows his mother never explained that it was about the rent she just told david to hide that's not how rent works (laughs) are you sure because it seems that's how rent works like my like I pay rent, like and yeah, I do direct deposit. But like, if I just decided to stop, it's not like I could just hide from my landlord and him just be like, "Okay, I didn't find them today, so I guess I guess they get to continue living here." Or like, what does he assume? Because if he assumes it's empty, then he can just rent it out again. Yeah, that's not how that works. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, maybe not. But also, we've not been alive in 1955. Sure. So. Things clearly work different. They didn't have direct deposit. <laughs> but then you can play hide and go seek from the rent collector. That was just an option. That's nice. Which is pretty yeah. cool. I wish yeah. they would bring that back. Yeah, they should. Once again, later in life, David admitted that he still gets a fright when someone knocks on the door. Okay, so there's a lot of jumping already to later in life. He's a prolific writer. Okay, all he's right. probably not read anything he's written. But he's written a lot. Okay. When he was nine years old, David made no effort at school, which, to be honest, sounds a whole lot like being nine years old. He was chosen for the junior school's third year football team. And because we're in England by football, we mean soccer. Like the beautiful game. You are in a soccer jersey right now. So you practically. Yeah practically wearing a soccer jersey. He admits that this was really the first time in his life, so in his first nine years, that he had succeeded at anything. And he came to see football as his way out of poverty. Say it like football, like it's spelled. Football. He came to see football as his way out of poverty. Or that. Yeah, that works, I guess. Which, I mean, you know, that's. I think that's a dream that a lot of people do understand. It's especially like if you discover you're good at sports. It's like, oh, this is my ticket out. That's a pretty yeah. common occurrence in a lot of lot of poor neighborhoods. Well, then I think also just like not liking school and, and finding something that you love and that you're good at. I mean, I do that with music and, and stuff now. Like I, I hate school. Oh yeah, like I'll just, not to the extent of like some people where it's like, I'm going to go on American <laughs> Idol. And, <laughs> but, but there is that like, I'm going to lean on what I'm good at mm-hmm. and, and just try to, see how far that can take me because why not 
because that's more enjoyable. Absolutely. So, Pursue yeah. your passions. Yeah, do it. He was the goalie on his team. And David felt that really suited the loner that he was because the goalie is kind of out there on an island all by themselves. They're the only ones who get to use their hands and there's not a whole bunch of people always standing around. And he felt like it gave him a sense of living on the edge between hero and villain. Well, yeah. I mean, mean, that's that hero position of like, you can either block it and, you know, win the game or you can be the reason that your team loses the game very easily. He failed his 11 plus exam, which is for 11 year olds. That's terms we wouldn't get over here in the States. And in 1963, he was sent to Crown Hill Secondary Modern, which basically it's like a reform school. Like this is where we send the the morons and the troublemakers. Mm. They just have this, once again, a posh way of saying it, as opposed to summer school, summer school. (laughs) (laughs) But while he was at Crown Hills Secondary Modern, uh, he was given a trial for the Leicester Boys Under 14 football team. And, uh, He made the team and it was a prestigious sort of event. At 15 years old, he left school after being talent spotted by Coventry City and they signed him up in 1967 as their youth team's goalkeeper. And he ended up kind of ended up playing actually in, I think it was the third division of the um, English Premier League, which is a very important league in terms of the way soccer is looked at around the world. Um, he's getting he's getting money for this. Like he, he's, he's making he's making some money, uh-huh. um, and he he's now what like he is playing true professionally at 15, 16, 17. Um, and so things are going really really well for David in this career, um, and he certainly has has a what seems to be a very bright future ahead of him. Good for him. Yeah, we should feel good for him. Yeah, especially because he developed rheumatoid arthritis in his left knee. Oh, and that spread to his right knee and both ankles and both wrist, elbows, and hands. It stopped him from pursuing his career of what he the only thing in life thus far that he has found any success at. That's depressing. And so even despite stating that he was in agony during any sort of training, uh, he still pushed on and played for Hereford United. And he was earning up to a um, little bit over $400 in today's money um, per week. No, that's not, that's not bad. It's not bad. Especially no. like, you know, he's not in, he's not on like one of the big teams. He's kind of on their secondary team, but he's also still very young. Sure. You know, at this point, he's still developing into the player he could become. Okay. But in 1973, at the age of 21, the pain in his joints became so severe that he was forced to retire. Dang. Which I wish I had retired at 21. That'd be nice. Right? Yeah. I think he's doing it right. In 1971, at the age of 19, so two years before his retirement, David met Linda Etherton, and they immediately fell in love. Oh, it's a cute story. They met at a dance at a hotel, a hotel dance, a hotel dance. That's the thing. Hi, welcome to Radisson. Over here's a dance floor. I don't know why there is someone from Texas in In Great Britain in the 1970s, but turns out they are. Someone Mm. has to run that Radisson. I'd watch that movie. (laughs) The Texas Innkeeper. Oh, I like that. (laughs) On A&E. Oh, man. Starring Matthew McConaughey. That's the next Hallmark movie, actually. I would not watch that movie. (laughs) At the same time that David met Linda, he was in the process of leaving the home that he was sharing with his father, mostly because he was tired of his dad berating him constantly for having to deal with all the pain from his arthritis and letting it affect his career. That's kind of a jerkish thing to do to your son. You think? Like, it's out of his control. Like That'd be like my dad coming on me for being like, why are you so short? 
that's pretty lame. You get to, you gotta just get taller, man. Stop. Just stop being short. Like man up. And I'm I'm not even short. Four months after they met, David and Linda got married. That's quick. Wow. And it wasn't a sort of shotgun wedding or anything. They it was four years later. They ended up having their first daughter. Oh, good for them. And then a few years later, they ended up having two sons. What does she do? Or does he have another job? Because like, he, if he's retired, he's not making money, I guess. Yeah. So after they've been married for two for two years, yeah. and with the end of his football career, David and Linda were left with no income. So they sold their home and they each moved back in with their own parents for a while. Oh, that's until awful. Oh, just how bad would that be? No, sir. Uh, that's not happening. Um. That's not happening to me. Because it's it's not even together moving in somewhere. Ugh. It's you've split up and you're each one of you are back with your own parents. No. <laughs> no, that's just not happening. Like I've I've done that. Like I've we've we've checked that box. Like we don't go back to that anymore. Nope. Don't need to do that again. Man, that's so they're in dire straits. It's pretty bad. Yeah. However, David did find a job as a reporter with a weekly magazine. And was able to parlay that into doing some radio work for the BBC as a football reporter. Oh, that's good for him. At least like it's close to, you know, the thing he loved. In 1976, he got a job with the national football team, which is a very prestigious thing. And he ended up spending two months in Saudi Arabia with the team. But when he came back to England on holiday, he realized that he missed his wife and children too much and Mm. did not return to that job. Homebody. He loves his family. He's a good guy. In 1981... David Icke became a sports presenter on the BBC show Newsnight, which was a national broadcast. He presented all of the sports news on Breakfast Time, which was Britain's very first national breakfast show, which I'm not, ex- I'm assuming breakfast show means morning show. Yeah, they just have to call it something else because they're pretentious Brits. I don't think it was all like, here's how to make breakfast this morning. <laughs> Have the same breakfast as us and 300,000 of your fellow Britons. Oh my gosh. So he hosted on those. During that same time, he also co-hosted Grandstand, which was BBC's flagship national sports program. So basically their version of Sports Center that ESPN later developed. So he didn't last long on Grandstand because a new producer came on board and David's like, yeah, he doesn't like me and I don't like him. And so they end up parting ways. However, by this time, David was becoming rather well known across the country for covering sports on all these different programs. And he wrote a book called It's a Tough Game, Son. And that was all about how to break into playing professional football. Wow. But it's something he knows. Yeah. Like I did it. He continued working for BBC Sports and covered not only football, but also snooker and bowls. Snooker? Snooker. Which is? I mean, you're asking for the for the listeners because I know you know. Yeah, yeah. Just clarifying for the listeners. So listeners who have no idea what snooker is, it is a variant of billiards that was invented by, I think it was Colonel Neville Chamberlain, not the prime minister of same name, but it's literally a just a variant of billiards, but became very, very, very popular amongst the military in, in England. And it turn into a somewhat professional sort of level so, event. So, so pool, it's pool. like It's yeah. pool, billiards, but a different set of rules. Okay. And then bowls? Is bowls. That, yeah. B-O-W-L-S. Again, for the listeners, not for me, clarify that one up too. Bowls is, I don't know why they call it bowls, because there are no bowls um, as part of this game. Shocking. Basically, there's a small ball that they roll out onto a bowling green, 
And then there are larger balls that all the contestants then have to roll to see who gets closest to the small one. So like, isn't that called bocce ball? Yes, it's bocce ball. But British. But British, and they call it bowls. Okay. Because I like bocce ball. Bocce ball is kind of fun, actually. But would you play it if it was called bowls? No, that's a lame, stupid name. Hey, let's go play some bowls. Come on. Come on, James. Come on. Come play some bowls with us. Afterwards, we'll do some snooker. No, bocce. Because it has the TCH in it, and that's a fun, that's a fun no, thing. It's bowls. Come on. No. Fine. Pretentious yeah. jerk. <laughs> yeah, we won the we won the war. So, I mean, call me pretentious all you want. I'm sorry, I can't hear you over the sound of my tea. Uh huh. Tea and what do you, you you say biscuits instead of biscuits, cookies? Because they're biscuits. It's a cookie. They're biscuits. I'm sorry if you don't understand basic culinary terminology. Uh huh. All right. In 1988, David covered the Olympics for Britain. And by 1990, he was a household name. Household, like just in England or household? In it, like, like not worldwide. Yeah. However, that's a pretty big deal. Sure. I mean, he, he's kind of reaching the pinnacle of sports broadcasting success. He's been on all the big shows. He's hosted the Olympics. He yeah. is their Joe Buck. Yeah. And you know, not bad for a guy that didn't finish school and, you know, had mm-hmm. to retire at 21. However, during this time of his greatest success, David decided that television wasn't for him because he found television workers insecure, shallow, and sometimes vicious. So what does he do? Well, he starts complaining a whole lot. And in August of 1990, his contract with the BBC was terminated over his failure to pay his legal dues to the organization. And once again, he is left without a job. Now, I feel like I should probably mention that during the 1980s and the previous decade to this, Leading up to it, David had begun looking into and experimenting with alternative medicines and a whole bunch of new age philosophies. Okay. So alternative medicines, like, do you mean like drugs, alternative medicines or like, like I'm going to rub this sage on, on my left elbow because that's what this psychic lady told me to do and it'll help my arthritis. Like that sort of alternative medicine. Definitely or like, or sage. Like a, or like essential oils alternative medicine. Uh, I bet there were some essential oils. Yeah. There was definitely sage involved. Oh my gosh. However, we're not going so far, as far as I could tell, because I looked, yeah. as far as I could tell, we're not like hardcore drugs. Okay. He's not tripping out on acid or anything. All right. Um, trying to control his pain from Got his it. arthritis. Yeah. But these alternative medicine and new age philosophy. So I have also crystals were involved. <laughs> Because of course they were. He's probably got a couple of dream catchers hanging up in in his house somewhere. Oh my gosh. His aura is probably cleansed regularly. Well, it has to be. Um, How can you survive without that? With a dirty aura? Yeah. (laughs) You can just tell when a person walks up. Clean Uh, your aura. uh, (laughs) Stuff like that freaks me out. I don't like that. That that, like genuinely believe that stuff because they're weird, man. I did a install for a witch. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. Is it the 1660s and you're in medieval Dude, Germany? Like we're we're like we're in this in this house. There's candles everywhere and safety a, hazard and a weird smell. It's just me and my coworker. We I, I've got this weird vibe. Like we walked in, I just felt weird. I was like, this doesn't something doesn't feel right. Like this isn't. And I've thought maybe it was just like a cat stuff because there there was a cat there and um that always makes me feel gross because cats are gross and i'm allergic to them they're evil and satanic yeah but i go into the bedroom and i I think like i recorded a video 
uh, and I think I sent it to you the day I, I was there. Like I went into the bedroom and there was like, there was all these weird knives out and little idols. And there was a, there was a spell book that was there and the little, little composition notebook that had a, like written on it. Uh, spell book? My, yeah. And, <laughs> so she's been to like witch school, like just taking notes. It said level eight, like something, and then spell book. And I looked up the word underneath level eight, and it was like witchcraft stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh. And like, I went into the bedroom, I saw the stuff, and I just, I just walked out. I was like, we need to go. Like, we, we need, we can't be here. Like, this, we need to wrap this up. My coworker's like, what? And I was like, just, just go in the bedroom, see what, see what I've seen, and tell me we don't need to go. He walks in, sees everything, walks back out. He's like, yeah, let's go. And we just left. We didn't even finish the job. Like, we, we called our boss and told him what was up. He's like, yeah, I would have left too. I'll deal with it. As far as I know, we didn't have to go back. I don't know what our boss ended up telling the, the lady, but. It was freaky. So like that whole like new age medicine, yeah. like stuff, like even like the innocent side of it. That's how it always starts. I think like, I don't think people are just like, I'm going to be a witch <laughs> like, <laughs> or, or whatever the male form of that of a witch is warlock. That a warlock or a wizard. I, I don't know. Warlock. warlock. Wizard is, is more fanciful. Okay. And I feel like if you call yourself a wizard, you're not taking it seriously. <laughs> uh yeah it was weird man like you just got it like a creepy vibe when you walked in the door wonderful so he's he's dabbling into like some of that stuff oh yeah yeah he's he's playing and having some fun great and his interest in these things uh led him to towards the green party which was a political group in in britain at that time it no longer exists and within six months of joining, he was given one of the four speaker roles in 1989 he wrote his second book it doesn't have to be like this, talking all about his views on the environment, because that's obviously one of the big things for the Green Party is environmentalism and making sure we're taking care of the planet, because otherwise all the medicine will go away. Maybe. No more sage. And he, David wrote that 1989 was really a time of a lot of personal despair for him. During this despair and around this time, he began to feel a presence around him. He often describes how he felt it while alone in a hotel room in March 1990. And he finally asked, he said, hey, if there's anybody here, will you please contact me because you're driving me up the wall? No. Days later, in a newsagent shop in Ride, he felt a force pull his feet to the ground, which makes me wonder, was he hovering? (laughs) And heard a voice guide him towards some books. I think that force is called gravity. Like, oh, yeah. Boy, if he had known that, that might have changed the rest of this like, whole story. You know, like it affects all of us. So so he finds some books. The force pulled him to his feet, heard a voice guide him to some books. One of them, the one that stood out, was written by Betty Shine and called Mind to Mind. Betty is a psychic healer in Brighton. He read the book and wrote to her requesting a consultation about his arthritis. Because of course, like new age medicine, like he's that's where he's trying to find his relief. Yeah. David visited Betty four times. On the third meeting, David said that he felt something like a spider's web on his face. And Shine told him she had a message from Wang Yi Li of the spirit world. <laughs> okay. Um, the spirit world. Yeah. Wang Yi Li of the spirit world. Like that's his address. Like that's his name. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sure. Why not? And apparently Wang Yi Li communicates via spider's web or something. <laughs> I'm not, 
I'm not sure how that works. Hey, here's this secretion from my abdomen. Now uh, you know I'm talking to you. Oh, oh no. Uh, okay. What what did Wong have to say? Well, turns out David's kind of important. Oh. Oh, is he like a chosen one? David had been sent to heal the earth. Oh my goodness. He's the chosen one. He would become famous, but would face opposition. So like he's this. already famous. Yeah. The spirit world was going to pass ideas to him, which he would speak about to others. This prophesied that he would write five books in three years. Within 20 years, a new flying machine would allow us to go wherever we wanted and time would have no meaning. I told you it was foreshadowing. And there would be earthquakes in unusual places because the inner earth was being destabilized by having oil taken from underneath the seabed. This was 1990. So this is like Scientology meets hippies meets like Green New Deal sort of thing. Yes. All Plus right. crystals. Plus crystals. And dream catchers. Okay. In February of 1991, David visited a pre-Inca Silustani burial ground near Puno, Peru. While he was there, he felt drawn to a particular circle of waist-high stones. As he stood in the circle, he had two thoughts. One, that people will be talking about this moment in a hundred years. And two, that it would be over when it rained. His body shook as though plugged into an electrical socket and new ideas poured into him. Then it started raining and the experience ended. He describes it as the Kuldalini, which is a term from Hindu yoga that activated his chakras or energy centers and triggered a higher level of consciousness. Sure did. So he's, he's achieving great things. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what's important about this experience he had, one of many things, is that it kicked off for David what he referred to as his turquoise period. Turquoise period? Turquoise like, period. Okay. Why he began it... to only wear turquoise. Oh, and that's often why. wore a turquoise tracksuit. Oh. And that's basically all he wore. Most like cult leaders and new age spiritual leaders wear robes or like nothing. Oh, he, that's because he's not one of them. Yeah. yeah. Because it turns out during this turquoise period, he spent a lot of time channeling. So getting his aura and his energies lined up with the spirit world. And he received a message telling him that he was a son of the Godhead. Okay. So <laughs> it's worse. It's worse. It's worse. And the reason he wore turquoise is because he felt that it was a conduit for positive energy. Mm. And it's during this time that he began to work on his third book called The Truth Vibrations. No. Oh, okay. So this is <laughs> this is the 90s? 1991. This is 91. He's lost his job. Yep. And I mean, he's probably still a public figure with a decent following. Mm -hmm. He is. He's wearing nothing but turquoise tracksuits. <laughs> yep. And he believes he's the son of God. The Godhead. The son of the Godhead. Okay. Yes, the Godhead. All Any right. further questions? Content no. It seems really think... clear and concise to me. Yeah, I, I think I've got it. Uh, <laughs> continue. During this time in late 1990 and early 1991, he met Deborah Shaw. Pause, actually. What does his wife think about all this stuff and his family and his kids? Like, She's on board. No. We're actually about to talk about that. Okay. Uh, okay. So during this time, late 1990, early 1991, he met Deborah Shaw, who was an English psychic who lived in Canada. Because why not? Mm -hmm. When he came back from the aforementioned trip to Peru, 
they began a relationship because I guess she's into turquoise or something. Yeah. Strangely enough, this happened with the blessing of Linda, who's is David's actual wife. Yeah. End of January of 1991, Deborah actually moved in with David and Linda and began what the press called the turquoise triangle. Okay. <laughs> so it's a romantic relationship, I'm assuming. Yep. All right. Lovely. Lovely. <laughs> Yeah. Deborah changed her name to Mari Shawson and Linda changed hers to Michaela because she, Linda, is now an aspect of the archangel Michael. Shockingly, this triangle of turquoise did not last for long, especially once Deborah began producing children for David. Yeah, thruples typically don't last long, no matter how spiritually enlightened everyone might be. I think some more turquoise, it would have made it. Especially between the son of the Godhead, the embodiment of Michael the Archangel, and Deborah. Like, <laughs> that's quite a thruple. I just like how the new woman changed her name to give her a somewhat spiritual sounding name. Yeah. And then Linda's like, oh, no, girl. No. Michaela now, because I'm Michael. Oh. Just has to one up, which just right there, there's problems brewing. Yeah. In March of that year, shortly after his father died, David, his wife, Linda, or Michaela, along with their daughter, and also Deborah, or Mari Shawson, they held a press conference to announce that David was the son of the Godhead. Uh, that, I'm sure that goes well. That, that always, uh, people always, always respond well to, to stuff like that. Well, that wasn't the only thing they announced. He also told reporters that the world was going to end in 1997. The end of the world would be preceded by a hurricane around the Gulf of Mexico and New Orleans, eruptions in Cuba, disruption in China, a hurricane in Derry, Ireland, and an earthquake on the Isle of Arran, which is a Scottish island. So the world ends. 1997, that, like it that, did. Yeah, and then in 1998... All that, all that other crazy stuff happens on the world that doesn't exist anymore? Or No, no, like, it would be he... preceded by all these things. So all those things oh. happen before the end of the world. Got it. I got it, got it, got it. Okay. I thought you said proceeded. No, no, preceded. Okay. I mean, that didn't happen. Are you sure? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't throw... I'm the conspiracy theory guy. Don't, don't throw this in. <laughs> I told you. We are just uh, beginning. Is he still alive? Is the guy, is this guy still alive? He is still alive. He is alive. still alive? Okay. What does he think? Where does he think he lives? Where? We'll get to it. Okay. How, how did the press respond? Because I'm imagining like the 2012 joke thing. Like that was my, <laughs> that was my end of the world thing growing up. And I'm sure yours too. You were already born mm-hmm. basically, but like. That was my whole thing. Like, ooh, yeah. The Mayan calendar ends on 2012, so that's when it's going to happen. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like it did. Like it did nine years ago. Yeah. This information was given to them by voices and automatic writing, which is communicating with the spirit world. Yeah. It's where you hold a pen and Mm -hmm. a spirit overtakes your body and writes down stuff on paper. Or you just write it on, you just write stuff on paper. And tell people well, it's the spirit world. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He felt a spider web on his face. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Wang Lee wrote down stuff for him, I'm sure. Also, Los Angeles would become an island. New Zealand will disappear. And the cliffs of Kent would be underwater by Christmas of that year. I like New Zealand. 
That's unfortunate. Liked New Zealand. Hmm. Strangely enough, this press conference attracted a whole bunch of attention, and he received numerous interview requests, the most famous of which was from the Terry Wogan show. Okay, is that like like the Tonight Show sort of thing? or Somewhat similar format, except it's not comedic. It's it's an actual just primetime chat show Okay, where, where Terry Wogan uh, was, he was a very famous, it was a very famous show, ran for like a couple decades um, on British television. And he was a very famous interviewer and routinely got just lots of really famous people on his show. And so Dave is like, yeah, I'll come on your show. That sounds great to me. And so Terry started the show by saying, and I quote, the world as we know it is about to end. And then introduced David and David came out and they began talking. When asked if he really was the son of God, David responded that, well, Jesus would have also been laughed at just like I'm being laughed at. Just because you're laughing doesn't mean it's not true. When you're comparing yourself to Jesus, and uh, like he's he's bringing in stuff from Hinduism, witchcraft, New Age spiritualism, Christianity, I'm sure Buddhism. I mean, I'm sure even Islam comes on board one of these times. Like it's, I can't take anything. And uh, we, we're also coming at this from a different perspective than like, just other people but still like it's crazy it's dumb and it's crazy and it's frustrating and okay so he's comparing himself to jesus and he doubles down on his earthquakes and tidal waves predictions says absolutely they're going to happen and he said the world will end if these disasters don't happen we need them to happen like they have to happen wait so that's different because earlier he said Mm -hmm. they would they would so it's already changing the stuff well you know the spirit world sometimes is not super clear. Okay. Mistakes happen in translation. He had a bad connection. Sometimes. Yeah. The spider web broke. <laughs> you can't surf a broken web. No. The audience ate it up and just kept laughing. Yeah. As they should. As David they should. then said that laughter was the best way to remove negativity. And Terry Wogan responded by saying, I just want to make it clear. They are laughing at you. They're not laughing with you. That's great. There's a difference, and I want you to be aware of what's really going on. <laughs> the interview was later called a media crucifixion, and the interview led to a very difficult period for Ike. In May of 1991, police were called to his house after a crowd of over 100 youths gathered outside chanting, We want the Messiah, and give us a sign, David. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> They were trolling so early. That makes me happy. It's wonderful. I watched that full interview and it's astounding because David Icke fully believes everything he says. A lot of those guys do. Like, yep. I mean, there's there's plenty that are like just like swindlers and liars, but then there's there's probably just as many as uh, that are crazy and they just genuinely believe that. that He's stuff. a believer. Oh, he comes man. across as calm. He doesn't lose his composure. Mm. He's just very believable in some senses also the british accent you could say anything with the british accent. it helps a lot and it helps yeah it helps makes you sound more sensible i was contacted by the spirit world and los angeles will be an island yeah because by the end of this year yeah see if i say the same thing like i was contacted by the spirit world and los angeles is going to be an island next year and what was the other thing uh, see that that sounds less reliable and less believable. They both sound unbelievable, but one of them sounds more believable. 
Well, of course it does, because yeah. I was informed by the spider spirit people. Mm. Is a difference. And I was informed by the spider spirit people. Yeah, I see that uh, difference. I, yeah. I, I noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> Between 1992 and 1994, he wrote five books. So the as prophecy. The, as the prophecy says. Wow. Prophecy foretold, and it came to fruition. <laughs> the first of these five is called Love Changes Everything, and is a work about the origin of the planet in which he writes with admiration about Jesus, mm. who was also a son of the Godhead. Yeah, so his brother. Kind of, yeah. Days of Decision was his next one, and it was an 86-page summary of all of his interviews after the 1991 press conference. And in this, he questions the historicity of Jesus, but accepts the existence of the Christ spirit. He's also a spider. Up next was Ike's autobiography, In the Light of Experience. And that was followed by Heal the World a do-it-yourself guide to personal and planetary transformation. Oh, my word. <laughs> Have you read any of those? No, I haven't. And now I love, because at first I thought you were like taking a jab at me when you were like, oh yeah, like before we hit record, like we were talking talking to me about this guy. And you're like, yeah, you haven't, like I'm not going to tell you who, but like he's he's written stuff. I don't think you've read, read any of his stuff. And at first I was like, man, that's a jab. Like I'm trying to read more. Like I, I read books. <laughs> yeah no i have not read any of those nor do i think i ever would i would like to point out and make it very clear for all the listeners that was not a jab aimed at you however i am more than pleased that you took it as one that, okay i'm sure you are knowing you <laughs> like these years of conditioning have really started to pay off now <laughs> in 1994 david wrote the robots rebellion like terminator sure if you want to go with that. Okay. <laughs> However, in this book, he claims that a plan for world domination by a shadowy, potentially extraterrestrial cabal was laid out in the 1897 book, The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. So we got a lot of book titles rumbling around right now. Wow. But we're going to zoom in on the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. This was supposedly written in 1897. And it claims in this book, it's claiming to be revealing a conspiracy by Jewish leaders to take over the world. It was debunked as being completely false. And, and probably anti-Semitic, I'm sure. Anti-Semitic, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, most likely, most historians believe this was written by the Russian secret police. Yeah. Um, and certainly it has played, this has been one of the most seminal works in sort of the anti-Semitic cultures that have erupted kind of all across the world over the last 100, 120 plus years. So Ike is using a 100-year-old anti-Semitic text to like as the foundation for what he claims to be like aliens taking over the world yep because he took it in a slightly different way and claims the plans were all true they're all true however but it's not the jewish people are that are behind them it's aliens in the book he refers to protocols often he, he doesn't call them protocols of the elders of Zion, yeah. uh, he calls them the illuminati protocols and he describes the illuminati and i quote as the brotherhood elite at the top of a pyramid of secret societies worldwide. Oh my word. I told you we were just getting started. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this puts QAnon to shame. Like this is insane. Hold on. This ride ain't over. Oh my goodness. 
This has been part one of a two-part series on the life and times of David Icke, a footballer, father, husband, philosopher, spider-webbing future-teller, turquoise tracksuit-wearer, and overall believer in aliens. Tune in next week for a deep dive into some more crazy stuff.